in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will study tonight, chapter 23, from the Gospel of St. Matthew. The main points of this chapter, addressing the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. That is the main point of the chapter. The Lord Jesus Christ addressed the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. And the last part of the chapter, uh, the Lord's lamentation for the apostasy and the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, in the previous chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ was tested by the religious leaders of Israel. They tried to test him with many questions in order to catch him by a word that they may accuse him. But the Lord was able to silence them. And they were, able, they were unable to entangle the Lord Jesus Christ with their questions. So, after they stopped asking him any question, the Lord himself proceeded to condemn the hypocrisy of the scribes of the Pharisees. Uh, and in spite of this strong condemnation, as we will read it together in eight words, but his love for them was manifested by his lamentation for the people of Jerusalem. So, let's start reading from verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, Whatever they tell you to observe, then observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. The Pharisees and the scribes were seeking to discredit the Lord Jesus Christ with the crowds. They were aiming to make the crowds doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. On the other hand, the Lord Jesus Christ tried different ways in order to lead the religious leaders of Israel to repentance. For example, he taught them and confirmed by doctrines and by countless miracles, and by prophecies from the Old Testament to prove to them that he is the Messiah, but they did not believe. He tried another method. He tried to send them hidden messages and secret messages through the parables. But after they realized that he was speaking the parables about them, they sought to kill him. 
And now the Lord Jesus Christ is trying another method to publicly rebuke them, hoping that they may return and believe in him. But before his rebuke of them, unless the people despise their authority as religious leaders of Israel, so he started by instructing the people, telling them they were seated on the throne of Moses. So whatever they tell you to do, do it, but not according to their actions. Uh, uh, don't walk. So the Lord here is setting a very important rule. No priest, neither in the Old Testament nor in the New Testament, is appointed except by God. As St. Paul said in his letter to Hebrews, and no one takes this honor except the one who is elected by God. And because the religious leaders, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, are appointed by God, then actually we need to listen to them and obey them, regardless of their behavior. Regardless of their behavior. The scribes professed great zeal for the law of Moses. They glory, glorified themselves in being the interpreter of the law of Moses. So they succeeded Moses in his authority to govern the people of God and to instruct the people of God according to the law and to disclose the will of God to the people. The Pharisees, on the other hand, professed a higher spiritual level and separated themselves from the rest of the believers. They considered themselves better than the ordinary class of people, and therefore they called themselves Pharisees, and the word Pharisees means separated. So here the Lord Jesus Christ, before rebuking them, he instructed the, the people to listen to them. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But the word whatever is not inclusive word. What do I mean? Christ does not tell the people to observe everything they do without exception but only to observe what is according to the law of God. But if something is clearly contrary to the law of God, we ought 
to obey God more than people. So the word whatsoever cannot be taken without any restriction. Because Christ himself accused the Pharisees and the scribes of teaching many things contrary to the law and of making the law of God void by their tradition. So, here, the Lord, when he said, what, whatsoever they tell you, you observe, is about the law of God. So the interpretation which they give to the law, most of the time it was correct. But their lives did not correspond to their teaching. That's why the Lord said to the people, because they teach you something, but they do something else. He said to them, for they for they say and do not do. They say and do not do. It is not the duty of the people to imitate their teachers, but it is our duty to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in his footsteps. Because we need to obey the law of God. Verse 4. The Lord now is giving example to us what he means by his word. They say and do not do. He said, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulder, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works, what they do? They do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garment. So now the Lord is explaining why he said about them, they say and they do not do. They press upon the people a strictness in religion. They were very strict on the people. But themselves, they are not following this strictness in religion. But secretly, they transgress their own tradition and they transgress the law of God. Although publicly, they enforce it and actually they demand a very high level of spirituality and they were very, very strict with the people. That's why the Lord said, as if, as if they are laying yoke on the shoulders of the people, heavy burdens on the shoulder of the people. They insisted upon the most detailed circumstances of the ceremonial law. They added to the law of God and to the God's word. 
and they imposed their own inventions and traditions under high penalty. So if the people did not follow it, they would be penalized. And themselves, they don't keep it or observe it. When the Lord said they don't move it with one of their fingers, he meant they were not helping the people at all to make it easy on them. They did not help by observing the law in its spirit. But the whole object of being so strict is just to appear holy before men. And this is hypocrisy. To appear holy before men. That's why he said, all their works they do to be seen by men. So the people may see them as holy. So the Lord referred here to two things. The phylacteries. Phylacteries were stripes of parchment with passages of the scripture written upon them. Stripes of parchment with passages of the scripture written upon them. They were enclosed in small boxes and they used to wear it during prayer, some on their forehead and some on the left arm next to the heart. And this was according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, chapter 11, verse 18, and Exodus chapter 13, verse 9 and 16. The scribes and the Pharisees intended to wear this, but they enlarged the phylacteries in order to appear to, to the people very, very observant of the law. Also, the purpose of this phylacteries, they were intended to remind the wearer, the person who wears them, it is his duty to fulfill the law of God. And why on the forehead and why on the left arm? On the forehead, to keep the law of God with their mind. And on the left arm, because it's close to the heart, to keep the law of God with their heart. So to keep them in their mind, and in their heart. And also, they believed this will protect them from the influence of the evil spirits. But the Pharisees wore these flatteries border than other men. Why? To seem more zealous for the law. And actually, if it happens to go to the Holy Land, you will see how they wearing them very, very broad. Also, another thing they did, the Lord said, they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the border of their garment. The border of the garment, it's called the hem of the garment. Again, there is 
a commandment in Deuteronomy 22 verse 12 and in Numbers verse 15, 37 to 39 that they put him on the four corners of the outer cloak. Why? To remind them to keep all the commandments wherever they go, the four directions of the world. But to enlarge these borders, to make them more noticeable to the people, as if to send a message, we keep the law of God wherever we go. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, and chapter 14, verse 36, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, in obedience to the law, wore also these borders on his outer guard. Not only that, not only they laid heavy burden on people's shoulders without even trying to move them with their fingers, not only they wore uh, broad flag trees and enlarged the borders of their garment, but also, as we read in verse 6, they love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues. Usually, with religious pride and arrogance goes social vanity. Love of the first place at feasts, love of the first seats in the synagogues. There is here we can see unquenchable hunger for prominence and status. The best seats in the synagogue, usually these were at the upper end of the synagogue, where the ark or the chest that contained the law was there. And these best seats in the synagogues were given either by the common consent of the people or by the elders of the synagogue. They were given to those who were most noticeable for their devotion and commitment to the law. So, many people who are arrogant or religious prideful, they coveted these seeds and they wanted to take these seeds in order to mark their religious reputation. Also, they loved greeting in marketplaces, verse 7, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Also, greeting in marketplaces means to be greeted by titles of honor in public places. Marketplaces mean park, uh, public places. Rabbi is a title like Doctor of Divinity right now, or Master. There were three degrees, Rab, Rabbi, and Rabuni. Rabuni is the greatest and means literally my great teacher. You remember Mary Magdalene called the Lord Rabuni. 
not only Mary Magdalene, but also Judas, when he kissed the Lord Jesus Christ in hypocrisy, he called the Lord Rabuni. When he said, Hail to you, Rabuni. Also, the disciples of John the Baptist used to call John the Baptist Rabuni. Here, Christ blamed their pride and vanity in affecting such titles rather than the titles themselves. So, the Lord is saying there is nothing wrong with the title. But what is wrong when actually you desire this title out of pride and out of vainglory? And the following verses from verse 8 to 9 many times are misinterpreted, especially by non-Orthodox. From verse 8, But you, here the Lord is asking us, do not be called Rab Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called the teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Many Protestants accuse the Orthodox Church of not keeping this commandment when we call uh, the priest Abuna, father, when we, when we call the bishop uh, our master, Sayyidna. And they accuse us who are not following the teaching of Christ. But here the Lord is saying, don't single your religious leaders and make them equal to God and equal to Christ. Equal to God and to Christ means to make them infallible. And whatever they say would be like a doctrine. Because the only infallible is God. And if the teaching of any religious leader contradicted the teaching of God, actually we will follow the teaching of God. And the church excommunicated many religious leaders when they fell in heresy. Like Arius, who was a priest in Alexandria. Nestorius was a patriarch in Constantinople. So, if we made this priest like Arius or Nestorius equal to God, we would follow their teaching. So when the Lord said here, your teacher is one and your master is one, he is saying, don't elevate anybody and make his rank equal to the rank of God. The Lord did not mean to literally not to call anyone father or teacher or master. 
the Lord Jesus himself referred to Abraham and called him father. In Luke chapter 16, verse 24, in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus said to Abraham, my father Abraham. So is the Lord contradicting himself here? He said, don't call anybody uh, father. And then he's saying that Lazarus called Abraham father. And the Lord praised Lazarus. So the Lord here is emphasizing that men here who have these titles, whether father or pastor or bishop or master or teacher should not be held as equal in authority to God or to God the Father or Christ. But we are by law of God. We have to respect and honor our parents as well as our spiritual fathers. So the Lord wanted his disciples to understand that he would have no second. There is no second being like him. He is the only one. And he is the head of the church and the church doesn't have more than one head. That's why in the Orthodox theology, we don't call the Pope as the head of the church. The head of the church is Christ. We are not like the Catholic called the Pope is the head of the church because the church doesn't have two heads. So, the Lord here is saying, he alone is the head of the church. And all of us, we are equal. The, Lord, the, the Orthodox Church calls the Pope first among equals. First among equals. Then the Lord, verse 11, he gave application. The sin of the religious leaders of Israel was pride hypocrisy. That's why he treated this part in verse 11. He said, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. So whether I am a bishop or a priest, if I understand my calling well, I should be a servant of all. And the Lord on Covenant Thursday, after he washed the, the, feet, the feet of the disciples, he told them, as I washed your feet, go and wash the feet of one another. He who is great among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. St. Augustine used to say in his prayers, 
I pray for your children, my masters. So he considered the people whom he is serving his masters, but they are the servants of God and the children of God. So the Lord here is giving a lesson to all of us to practice humility in serving God. And he said, he who is really greatest will show his greatness not in asserting titles like master, like father, like uh, teacher, but in a life of serving others. The religious leaders of Israel demanded these titles, but they did not serve their people. So, when the Lord said, he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will, will be humbled, we can understand it uh, in two ways. The first way the Lord giving here a promise that those who humble themselves, God in his second coming, he will actually uh, honor them. And the opposite is true. Those who exalted themselves, they will be humble. But also, we can understand that the Lord is giving a lesson to us. If you consider yourself in a place of authority, then you need to be a servant of all. So we can understand that either as a promise or as a guideline for those who serve the Lord. The disciples kept this teaching very well. That's why St. James in chapter 4, in, in his letter, chapter 4, verse 10, repeated the same words. When, if you humble yourself, the Lord will exalt you. And St. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, he repeated the same words. And maybe it is observable that no one sentence of our Lord is so repeated like this sentence. Whoever exalt himself will be humbled, and whoever humble himself will be exalted. So here we should understand the Lord is not blaming the title or blaming the usage of the title, but he is blaming how we, the, we use these titles for vainglory and as a result of pride. Then from verse uh, 13, the Lord mentioned eight wows. Wow to you, eight wows. And in the, the Beatitudes also are eight. So some of the scholars of the scripture 
try to compare between the eight beatitudes or eight blessings, blessed are, and the eight woes. The first woe, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Uh, woe to you does not exclude that the Lord was sorrowful when actually he rebuked the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you actually reflect the righteous anger in the heart of the Lord. In the first one, he is accusing rightfully the scribes and Pharisees of hindering the plan of God for humanity and shutting themselves and others out of heaven by rejecting the gospel of salvation, by not believing that Christ is the Messiah, by crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ and encouraging the people to crucify and reject his cross. He, the Lord Jesus called himself the gate. So shutting the gate of heaven means rejecting the Lord Jesus. When he said, you shut up the kingdom of heaven by rejecting the gospel of salvation. So the scribe and Pharisees will not go to heaven because they did not believe in Christ, nor people who are willing to believe in Christ by hindering them from accepting the gospel of salvation and casting doubts in their heart. So they are hindering also the people from entering the kingdom of heaven. That's why they deserve it, the first woe. The second one, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. The widow were poor, but the scribes and Pharisees, they demanded them to donate and contribute. That's why they made long prayers. In order for the widows, they believe that they are spiritual, holy, godly. And by doing this and other means in their power, they persuaded the widows of the poor people to make vows or offerings beyond their ability to the temple so that they may become rich. That's why the Lord told, uh, told them, you devour the houses of the widows. Houses here does not refer only to a house, but any property or any position they own. That's why the Lord told them, greater condemnation is awaiting you, awaiting you. You deserve greater condemnation. And instead of showing compassion on these poor people, 
you become rich by devouring their houses. The third one, woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. In the first century, many Pharisees conducted missionary efforts among the Gentiles. They traveled land and sea to convert the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, to convert them to Judaism. And the word proselyte means converted, or one who has come over, come over from his faith to Judaism. So to make one proselyte means they traveled in order to convert one Gentile to Judaism and made him circumcised and keep the Jewish religion. Why the Lord said about them, you make him a son of hell as twice as you? Uh, St. John Chrysostom said, because while a Gentile he sinned without perfect knowledge of the evil, as a Gentile he sinned, but he didn't know what's right and what's wrong as a Gentile. And by sinning without knowing the law of God, at that time he was not he was not twofold child of hell. But after his conversion and seeing the wickedness of his masters and perceiving that they acted in, in direct opposition to the doctrines of the law of God, so he returns back to worshiping idols. He returned back to adore and worship the idols that he formerly left. And by doing this, now he sells his soul doubly to the devil. That's twice as much son of hell. Now he is selling willingly after he knew the truth, after he knew the true God. But now willingly he is selling himself to the devil. The fourth woe, he said to them in verse 16, Woe to you blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Here the Lord is condemning the distinction they made to the holiness of their oath. Distinction invented only to promote their own greedy purposes. Because they were lover of money.
and they pretended to be guides of the blind but themselves they were blind the Lord told them blind guides or blind leaders so if he, they are blind they are unfit to guide others not only he called them blind but he called them ignorant because they were ignorant of divine things they were ignorant that Christ is the Messiah. They were ignorant of the true meaning of the scriptures. They were ignorant of the spirituality of the law. They were ignorant of the gospel of Christ. They were ignorant that the way of salvation is only through him. So their minds were blinded by the God of this world, by the devil, the God of this world. And this distinction, the Lord gives them more than one example. The first example, they said, if you make a vow or you swear by the temple, you don't have to fulfill it. There is no sin to use such an oath. It is not binding to you. You may choose either to abide by what you swore or not. And in this way, actually, ignorantly, they encouraged people to swear by the temple. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, then you are bound to make good your oath, to fulfill your oath. You cannot be excused. And if you did not fulfill the oath, you will be guilty of lying. The gold of the temple doesn't mean the gold that was covering the temple or the golden vessels. But the gold of the temple means the money or the gold or the gifts that were offered for the service of the temple. So if you make a vow to pay gold to the temple, you need to fulfill it. If you swear by the gold, for example, if you swear, I will pay this, then actually you need to pay it. And this shows the greedy character of these men who made nothing of the oath that were done or swore by the temple. But those who were made by the gold or the gifts, they are binding. And why they made this distinction for their personal gain, to make money out of it. That's why the Lord called this foolishness. In, in their foolish distinction, they regarded the swelling as a swearing by the gold higher than swearing by the temple. And the Lord explained to them. If the gold has any holiness, it's because of the temple, the house of God made it so. Another example, verse 18, they said, and whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, 
he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Another example, they made distinction. You know the altar of the burnt offering? It was made of brass. On this altar were offered all the sacrifices. The gift upon the altar was always animals or birds. So it was usual for them to swear by the altar. But they did not consider this a sin at all. You can swear by the altar and it's okay not to fulfill it. You can break such an oath. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, which actually made usually of animals or uh, birds, then you need actually to keep it. You need to bring this to the temple. You need to bring this gift to the temple, this offering to the priests and the religious leaders. And the Lord said to them, which is greater, the gift or the altar? It is the altar that's dedicated to God that gives all value and holiness to the offering on it. That's why we need to consider the altar greatest of greatest importance than the gift itself. So if therefore, either to bound to the fulfillment of an oath, either to the offering or the altar, then it should be the altar. The gift or the offering, before it was devoted to sacred use and brought and laid up on the altar, actually has no value, has no holiness. But when they brought it and laid it upon the altar, it became holy. For according to the law of Moses, whatever touches the altar will become holy. So here actually the Lord is teaching them about the spirit of the law, sense of the law. But their own tradition actually is contradicting the law of God. And why they were doing this? For their own greed, personal gain. We should not understand that the Lord is supporting or encouraging swearing because in the Sermon on the Mountain, the Lord actually uh, prohibited all forms of swearing. So when he said uh, the altar sanctify the offering, he does not encourage us to swear by the altar but not by the offering. He does not encourage us to swear by the temple but not by the gold of the temple. That's why from verse uh, 20, he told us, do you know what is the meaning of your swearing? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, he swears by it and by all things on it. And he who swears by the temple, he swears by it and by him, by God, who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, he swears by the throne of God 
and by him who sits on it. And as long as you are lesser than God, then you cannot and you should not swear by God. Many people say, how we say in the divine liturgy and the book of Psalms, the Lord swore by himself and will not relent. The problem of swearing that you cannot swear by a being greater than you. But the Lord can swear by himself because there is no greater than him. But we cannot swear by God because he is greater than us. So the Lord did not allow swearing by the temple. But he explained, when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by the inhabitant of the temple, by God who dwells in it. And when you swear by the altar, you are swearing by God for whom the altar was built, for whom the altar it is dedicated, where God is worshipped. And it is only God who is the proper witness of the truth or falsehood. Falsehood. That's why you cannot swear by God or by the temple or by heaven or by the altar. Therefore, any oath by the temple or by the altar or by the heaven or by the offering or by anything should be looked upon as if you are swearing by God himself. And since God is greater than you, you cannot swear by God. Uh, because how you call God to be witness for your sincerity? All of us, we are weak and, and sinners. So how you call God who is greater than you to be witness for you? It is foolish and blindness to swear by such things as the Lord said. Then the following wow, the Lord said in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and camel, and have neglected the whiter matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. This you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So here the Lord actually is uh, speaking about another point. The Pharisees here are blamed by God for their love of money. They demanded the people to pay even the tithe of the trivial thing, the anise, the camel, the mint. And themselves, they kept this in order to demand it from the people. But what is the point? 
again it is their greed love of money so the Lord actually did not blame them for paying the tithes of the anise and cumin and mint but he blamed the intention behind it hypocrisy and greed that's why he told them you ought this you ought to have done without others undone but when you keep the tithe of anise mint and cumin but you neglect mercy justice and uh, faith then here is a serious problem it's either greed or hypocrisy so what did he criticize here is substitution of the lower for the higher they neglected the higher the whiter matters of the law justice mercy and faith and they kept the law and the Lord actually mentioned three things of the lower things like anis, kemon and, and mint and mentioned three things of the higher things justice, mercy and faith that's why the Lord explained how they become very very strict in small things while actually they turn a blind eye for greater things verse 24 he told them blind guides who strain out a net and swallow a camel it was a custom of the Pharisee to strain their wine or vinegar or any kind of drink through linen list without realizing they should drink down some little unclean insect therein and thus they transgress so they strained out an ant which is not wrong but at the same time a camel which considered unclean animal actually they swallow not literally but by not keeping the whiter matters of the law so the Lord here is using exaggeration by saying swallow a camel to make his point that the Pharisees and scribes who claim to be very very strict in observing the law they, are, they were failing in adhering to the spirit of the law and the whiter matter of the law then the following uh, well we read it in verse 25 woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also in the gospel of St. Luke St. Luke mentioned in chapter 11 that the Lord mentioned this woe 
while he was eating a dinner in the house of the Pharisee. So, is there contradiction between Matthew and Luke? It is either the Lord, when was in dinner, he repeated the same things, or either St. Matthew, according to his customs, usually he take from here and there in order to make one speech. So it was a custom of St. Matthew to add the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, though spoken in different occasions, and connect them together if they are in the same subject. So here actually, the Lord is condemning how the Pharisees and scribes were more concerned with the appearance of religious purity from outside, while interior holiness, actually, it was disregarded by them. The outside of the cup and dish is the external behavior and conduct of the fairies. Inside of the cup is their hearts and real life. So they kept from outside pure image, although from inside their hearts was full of wickedness. Outward purity will not avail in the sight of God. God is demanding inward holiness. Uncleanness in its ethical sense was altogether distinct from outward uncleanness. So when we call something unclean, when it is from inside, not outside. The Lord was saying if the contents of the cup were pure in their source and in their use, then actually the outside also will be clean. So when we cleanse our heart from inside, from outside also we will be holy. So we have here uh, a list of woes God addressed to the, the scribe and Pharisees. He was addressing their hypocrisy, their greed, their ambition, and their false zeal. And we should be careful not to suffer uh, and to follow and to have such weeds in our heart, to grow in our heart like the sin of greed or hypocrisy or false zeal. Another woe, in verse 27, he told them, Woe to scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It was a custom for the Jews to whiten the tombs on outside in order to distinguish them. Why? Lest if they touch a tomb, they will be defiled. So by whitening the tombs from outside, 
they will be distinguished clearly lest they touch them and they become impure. So the, the, the whitewashed tombs will be clean, will be beautiful from outside. But what's inside the tomb? Corruption. Bones of dead men. So he told them, from outside, you appear righteous, like the whitewashed tombs. But from inside, your souls are corrupted by sinful acts and hypocrisy. St. Gregory said, the scribes and Pharisees have no excuse. Because by practicing hypocrisy from outside, they know it's right, but they don't keep it from inside. So they know what's right and what's wrong, but they are not living accordingly. That's why they, are, they, they have no excuse in the judgment day. St. John Chrysostom said, Tell me, hypocrite, what pleasure there in wickedness? Why do you not wish to be what you wish to appear? Why you are living dual life? If you want to appear this way, what your being is not this way. What is beautiful to appear something and from within you are something else. And the Lord here actually addressed their hypocrisy by making broad their phylacteries, by enlarging the borders of their garment, by praying long prayers, by traveling land and sea to win one proselyte, by paying tithes of all manners of herbs, by cleansing the outside of the cup and dish, by doing all of this. Why they are doing all of this? To be seen by men. But from within, there is no internal transformation. So from outside, like painted tombs, beautiful, but from within they are full of wickedness and corruption. The last world number eight, the Lord told them in verse 29, woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Of course, building or adorning the monument or the tombs of prophets, nothing wrong with this. So the Lord not blaming them because he were building tombs for prophets, but he was blaming their hypocrisy. They are, they pretended actually to honor the prophets, to honor uh, the, the, the righteous people. While they pretending to honor the prophets themselves, actually, they were persecuting unto death the prophets, and not only the prophets, but even the Lord of the prophets. When the Lord told them, 
fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, filling up by killing Christ, by crucifying him. So here he's challenging them to kill him in verse 32. They honored the prophets by building monuments to them, but they did not follow the teaching of the prophets, and they did not imitate their lives. And the Lord here, it was the last warning from him to the scribes and Pharisees to repent from doing this. And he told them about their punishment. So these words show the hypocrisy of these persons and support the character given of them. And also, uh, God wants to reveal to the people their false teaching in order not to follow them. The scribes and Pharisees publicly expressed their disapproval of the conduct of their fathers. Although they walked in the footsteps of their fathers. Although they disapproved how their fathers killed the prophets, but by killing the Lord Jesus Christ and crucifying the Lord of the prophets, they walked in the footsteps of their fathers. So, by confessing also they were the children of those who murdered the prophets, and now they are going to murder Christ himself and his followers. So here the Lord is telling them, you are not better than your fathers. You are reproducing in your deeds, actually, what your fathers did to the prophets. And by killing Christ, they will fill up what is lacking in the iniquity of their fathers. So the cup will be full. The measure will be full. So the national iniquity of Israel should be complete before God destroyed. Fill up the measure. The word measure means the full amount. Make it complete. And this verse actually predicts the death of Christ himself. So, the Lord is saying here, you need to fill up the measure of your fathers by killing me, so the judgment of Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem will be fair and just. In verse 33, he called them serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? These words, broods of vipers, were used by John the Baptist. As if the Lord is saying, you are the wicked children of the big serpent, the Satan. Broods, children. The viper is uh, Satan. This name is given to them 
on account of their pretending to be religious and devoted to God, but secretly they are wicked and they are evil at their hearts with all deceit like the old serpent that deceived our mother Eve. So, the Lord here declared their punishment. Verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar, assuredly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Here the Lord actually is uttering their judgment. Uh, because their wickedness was so great and their hypocrisy was so great, that's why the Lord told them, it is impossible for you to escape the condemnation that should come on the guilty. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? And by saying, I sent you prophets, wise men, scribes, he was referring to the disciples and the apostles that he will send them. The word I sent mean I will send to you. Because these gifts, prophecy were known in the New Testament also. He told them, some of them you will kill. They killed St. Stephen, the first martyr, and he was stoned by death by them. Also, they killed St. James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, whom Herod killed in order to please the Jews. Also, they killed St. James the Lesser, they threw him headlong from the pinnacle of the temple and killed him. The Lord told them, some of them you will scourge in their synagogues. They did this to John, St. John, uh, the theologian, and St. Peter and St. Paul. He told them you will persecute them from city to city. We can see this with St. Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts. Then here, actually, the Lord told them, all the innocent blood from Abel to uh, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, will come upon this generation. Who is Zechariah, the son of Berechiah? There are two uh, interpretations. One of them, they say, it is Zechariah, the son, the, the father of John the Baptist, because he put John the Baptist on the altar, and while he was leaving, when Herod was killing the children of Bethlehem, and while he was leaving, they killed him between the altar and the temple. But actually, uh, there is another uh, interpretation. There is Zechariah, son of Berechiah. We read about him in Second Chronicles, chapter twenty-four from 20 to 22. And this prophet was killed between the altar and the temple. And the last word he uttered before he dies, he said, 
the Lord will require my blood. So most probably the Lord was referring to Zechariah, son of Berechiah, in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And here actually we need to see the justice of God. The Lord did not punish any nation or any city or any person unless his measure of sin is full and complete. The Amorites, as we read in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, the Amorites were spared until their iniquity was full. In the same way, the iniquity of Israel was allowed to accumulate from age to age. Till in that age, age of Christ, it became full by crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said, assuredly I say to you, he's saying more severe punishment will be inflicted on you and you will face greater condemnation because of your wickedness. They had the example of their ancestors before their eyes and how their ancestors irritated the wrath of God. But in spite of learning from them, they actually walked in their footsteps and they killed the prophets exactly like their ancestors. Then verse 37, the Lord concluded his speech by saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophet and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here the Lord is taking the image of a mother hen gathering her young under her wings. And in the Old Testament, there are many uh, passages referred to God as a mother gathering her children. For example, if a mother forgets her child, the Lord will not forget you. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills. The word here is the present tense. Why present tense? Because Jerusalem killed in the past and will kill in the future. So as if killing. The Lord told them, how many times I tried, but you were not willing. That's about our free will. God will never force us to follow him. But many times, by our free will, we antagonize the will of God. So, there are many truths here when the Lord said, but you were not willing. The first one, those who will perish, they perish because of their own fault, because they refused to listen to the voice of God, calling them to salvation, because they antagonized the will of God. Second truth, that the will of man is free. And it is an error in man 
to lay or to accuse God for his wickedness. You cannot accuse God for your own personal sins. And the third truth, how important for a man to submit to the will of God. So those who will perish, will perish because of their own will. You cannot accuse God, you cannot say you created me this way. It's your free will and it's important to submit to the word of God. When the Lord said your house may refer to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, or may refer to the temple. And actually in year 70 AD, whole Jerusalem was burned down and the temple also was destroyed and was never built because the Lord told them your house will be left desolate. In the last verse of this chapter, the Lord is speaking about his coming. You shall see me no more until you say, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Either he is referring to the second coming or maybe he is referring because from that day he did not see him. This was on Tuesday of the Holy Week. And he left the temple and did not return back to the temple. After he said, your house will be left desolate. And they did not see him. So as St. John Chrysostom said, it may refer to the time between the time that he spoke in the temple on Tuesday and his passion on Friday. They did not see him during these uh, two days, on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, or it may refer that the Lord will never appear publicly in the temple again, which did not happen. Uh, and it refers that some of them will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which means some of the Jews will believe in Christ and will be converted to Christianity and they will call on Christ. This verse, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is taken from Psalm 118, verse 26. This actually concludes the chapter, chapter 23 from the book of, or the Gospel of St. Matthew. Glory be to God forever. Amen.